All right, awesome. Um, so uh, welcome everyone to Make Your Own Damn Podcast, a podcast where we look at trauma movies, exploitation, cinema, and cult horror. I am Lucas Mangum. With me tonight, as always, is Jeff Burke. And we have a guest tonight, don't we, Jeff? Yes, we do. We have a guest, somebody I am super excited to have here. We have an old friend of mine, Bobby Lugosi. Now, some of you listening, some of you avid listeners may be thinking that, like, wait, Bobby Lugosi, I thought you said your old friend Spooky was going to be on the show. Well, Bobby Lugosi and Spooky are the same person. Bobby Lugosi is one of the many characters. It's me, Bobby Lugosi. <laughs> there we go. All right. We have a cartoon vampire tonight, and I am so excited. And to just give a quick recap for anyone that may not have listened to the end of uh, last week's episode, uh, Bobby Lugosi and I go very far back that Bobby's been involved in the circus um, community, the freak show community, the drag community, live of all sorts of variety of live events. And them and I have worked together on performances that have taken place at um, at two world horror conventions and we also with various hotel rooms. Yes, yes, we <laughs> We quite literally did trash hotel rooms and also working on punk shows together and a wide variety of bizarre, weird, sexy, fringe, weirdo entertainment, which is perfect for a trauma podcast. So, yeah. Bobby Lugosi, welcome to the show. Welcome, welcome. You, you can say hi, Bobby. Oh, sorry, it cut out for a second. <laughs> That's um, all right. No worries. <laughs> Okay, okay, let me try this again. It's me, Bobby Lagosi. So, Bobby, uh, how did you feel I did with your introduction? Is there anything more that you'd like the uh, our audience to know about you, starting right off the bat here? Um, it's been a long journey to become a cartoon vampire, uh, the sleaziest vampire in town. Uh, Portland's own Draculo. Um, let's see. Uh, Portland's very own Manpire. But uh, I would say our friendship has had a lot, like, has really inspired me to even get to this point in and turning kind of clowning into horror. Oh, in a way that's not a typical. Oh, wait, did it cut out again? No, I can't hear you just fine. No, I hear you. Okay. Um, in a way that's not typical, like, haunted house clown scaring children. Right. Yes. Oh, which, by the way, I have also encountered you at an actual haunted house scaring children. <laughs> that did happen one time. <laughs> um, oh, yeah, that was a thing. And, yeah, I saw your uh, Bobby Lugosi performance at this past Halloween, um, for, you know, uh, Halloween uh, 2021 at the Star Theater. And that was my first time seeing the Bobby Lugosi uh, persona perform. And um, I guess how I would kind of describe it 
was a kind of old vaudeville routine that a Scooby-Doo villain would perform. Oh, definitely. <laughs> definitely. All right, we're that on the same. That sounds like something I'd want to have at uh, the um... – I don't know at the at the neighborhood park that'd be that'd be way cooler than the shit they usually have there. <laughs> I really think that someone would call the cops on me if I showed up to the park. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you would definitely get the cops called on you if you tried interacting with children at the park. I'm sure. <laughs> oh, 100. <100%. laughs> uh, so so what are we here to talk about today? Uh, we're talking about Vegas in space. Which came out in 1991, I believe. However, once again, the Tremel website says it came out in 1992. Once again, I have found another mistake on the Tremel website. (laughs) And I'm certain this isn't a release issue because Troma didn't really uh, get the distribution rights to this a little bit later, which I'll be going into. So, uh, Bobby, you'll see that... Uh, Lucas and I have been documumenting for Troma all the errors we're finding on their website. However, oh, we don't know if anyone at Troma has listened to this show yet and updated them. Also, also, we did kind of out ourselves two episodes ago when we admitted that neither you or I have updated our websites in a very Shit. long time. That's right. I still haven't done that yet either. Fuck. <laughs> okay. So um, we're throwing stones in glass houses once again. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. This is this is radio. We can do whatever so, we want. We we have the Oh. Um I found a couple mistakes online just in print <laughs> about this movie. Oh yeah? Like what? Um somebody one of the websites said that it took like 2 years to make and I believe that it took 8 years to make. It took 8 years. Yes, that's what yeah. I found in my research. That was what I came well. up with as well. Um, Jeff, do we have a description from Troma about this movie? Yes, we do. We, we have a description from Troma. So for the sake of anyone listening who has not seen this movie, here is how Troma sells this. And we'll see what our take on it is. How far would you go to save the entire universe? Would you change sex? The fabulous Captain Tracy Daniels would. To save the universe, she takes her fierce space crew to the babes-only world of Vegas in space. Disguised as showgirls from Earth, they must dance, dance, dance to save the universe. (laughs) Vegas in space has more wigs than wig stock, more makeup than a Miss America pageant, all the fabulousness of Priscilla, and manages to outwood Edward. With tongue planted in cheek, these queens will make you work it. With outfits that would make RuPaul jealous, these cross-dressing divas are more fabulous than Julie Newmar and shine brighter than a supernova. In Vegas in space, zero-gravity girls dance, compare tips, and save the universe as they romp through an outer space woman's paradise. With the queen of this internationally acclaimed film, it's glamour first, glamour last, glamour always. So that's the description. What do you two think? Uh, I would say that's a that's <laughs> yeah. a great description. I mean, that kind of sums it up. <laughs> and that, that's I'm gonna say that's a pretty excellent description from Joma. Yeah. That's, I'm like, that's... We, can, we can all go home. We can stop recording and just uh, you know, pack it in. 
that's so so we find on the show that some of Troma's descriptions are rather off. Uh this one uh is pretty on. Like I yeah. I yeah. say that's pretty accurate for this movie. Now um uh now I'll I'll be upfront here. This is actually my first time seeing this movie. I had never seen Vegas in Space before prepping for this episode. Um Lucas, have yeah. you seen this movie before? Yeah. That is uh, that is also that matches my experience. I, I had heard of it um, uh, about ten years ago. I read a blog um, on a on a website uh, that was run by uh, someone named Peaches Christ, and I think it was written. The article that was written by Michael Verratti, who I used to talk to. Um, I mean, we didn't we didn't have a falling out or anything. It just you know life. Um, but uh, and I was like, this movie sounds great, but like. I'm really bad at remembering to watch stuff and I never ended up watching it, even though um, I had heard of it. And yeah, I'm, I'm glad I finally got the chance to watch it uh, this week. And, and Bobby, when you watch this movie, uh, because you specifically reach out to us, uh, tell us a bit about your history with Vegas in space. Well, um, obviously I'm a vampire. Um, and I, <laughs> that's, that's it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I have an internal, like, vampiric monologue and storyline, storyline going through my head constantly. And, uh, okay, I guess I'll just say this officially on this podcast. Myself and all of my vampire brides are from outer Spaceylvania. Holy okay. shit. That is a pipe bomb. <laughs> yeah. And one of my vampire brides was like, oh, well, like Vegas in space. You haven't seen Vegas in space? And uh, the the inner monologue rock opera needed to watch that movie. So I did, and it's fucking fantastic. And I read a bunch of articles about it and dug a lot deeper into the history and realized how much it has impacted the queer community. And uh, that's why we're here. Oh, man, I am so, I am oh, yeah. so excited because I was reading a bunch about this as well. And I'm really looking forward to getting some of your perspective on some of the uh, historical significance significance of this movie, um, which I, I was kind of really amazed at how important this movie is to the queer community to the drag community and mm -hmm. it is once again we have yet another example of trauma uh highlighting and spotlighting a marginalized community decades before it became hip and right. fashionable and most importantly marketable to do it that um I was really surprised to find out that this is actually a lot of queer people, a lot of people in drag community. This is one of their introductions to the drag scene uh, from the early 90s. Totally. Also, uh, Peaches Christ has been trying to show this film. Uh, well, Peaches Christ and Michael Verratti have been trying to show this film at least every five years. But that's usually in, I believe, San Francisco. Mm -hmm. 
there's it's just completely lost on a whole generation of drag performers that don't even oh. know this exists. Oh, okay. Uh, hold that thought because that's definitely I wanted something I want to get to uh, later in the episode. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely something I want to bring up. Uh, uh, but um, uh, but continue. Sorry. Um, that that was one of the reasons why you know I hadn't seen it and. I did, and it was amazing, and I feel like this information, this film needs to be accessible to people. Well, one thing yeah, that I, I, I found I'm bizarre. just going to go into the topic that you want to talk about later. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, okay, so so we're going to get into that, I, because I want to kind of hold off into the um, modern context of this movie until a little bit later in the episode, so we work through the history, yeah. but... Um, one thing that like blew my mind is apparently uh, Troma distributed this, and the uh, director of the movie, uh, Philip Ford, actually has lots of positive things to say about Troma, unlike some of the directors that have worked with Troma that we've covered <laughs> on this show. But Philip Ford has very positive things to say, and that essentially no one would give a uh, movie that had a all-drag uh, a drag queen cast a release as wide as Troma would. And in right. fact, this was one of the highlighted movies on USA Up All Night, which, yeah. think about that in the fucking 90s on yeah. USA, they were showing this movie, which <laughs> I, I feel like we need to describe I, what oh, this movie God. is like for anyone listening that hasn't seen it. It is it's an ultra low budget, yeah, all drag queen cast sci-fi uh, comedy. Mm -hmm. Is that all accurate? With I some mean? with some dance numbers. Yeah, well, of course, yeah. there's drag queens in it. But <laughs> fair point. Fair point. Not all drag queens dance now, Jeff. This is true. This is true. I'm stereotyping there. <laughs> Um, and it's it, it it kind of like blows my mind that this movie came out in ninety one. Yeah. yeah. I I'm just like trying. I, I'm sorry if I'm like if I seem kind of dumbstruck, but I'm just kind of picturing what like would have happened. Thirteen year old me was watching Monday Night Raw in like nineteen ninety seven, nineteen ninety eight. And I happened to, like, keep watching, because it was on USA, uh, you know, Context yeah. Pal. Um, and, 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 I, and I happened to stumble on this movie afterwards. That would be just such an interesting juxtaposition, I, I've got to say. I bet you there was a large number of children that were watching uh, wrestling. And, yeah, my, yeah well, like, whatever, I already forgot it. Like, whatever the wrestling show is. Um, <laughs> the they were watching the wrestling show. And um, and then they got introduced to Vegas in space, and you know what? They were like, I like both of these things. I'm learning a That's lot cool. about myself this evening. Yep. Like, I bet you there's a lot of kids that that happened to. There is I a do not Mexican, doubt that for a second. There's a Mexican wrestler drag queen. I read a like, Vice article about them, and I, I thought that was awesome. <laughs> I don't doubt That's that great. for a fucking second. Like, that just no, makes no. sense to me. <laughs> and uh one thing that like in terms of this movie that yeah this movie is uh held up 
about its drag representation. And that's probably what we're going to be spending most of this episode talking about. But I do want to spotlight something real quick that also I fucking loved about this movie and is one of the things that I always just adore and respect about movies when they actually do this is that this whole movie was filmed in one person's house that this entire movie was filmed in one person's house that they remade rooms for the sets. And this was all of their friends and like they were doing their own makeup, own special effects. Yeah. It took them eight years, but they did it all themselves. And this is, and they did this with a lot less technology than any one of the, us on this show or anyone listening to the show has access to. And they did it. And it reminds me of movies like Dave made a maze where mm-hmm. it just blows my mind that anyone can do this, but they did it. And that to me is always some of my most inspiring artistic works to me. And that was something that really, really grabbed me about, uh, watching this movie and research into it. It's really low budget. It's really simple, but it was just because they put in the fucking effort that they have a full length movie that we're talking about now over it's over 30 years after its release. It's not even just the effort. Like for me, like I was, I, I was thinking about a movie that we saw a couple episodes ago where it was also ultra cheap, but it didn't seem like, but I, but I, but, but we didn't like it, you know, under the knife. Oh, oh yeah, um, under the knife, yeah, that, but, that movie. And I want to contrast this movie with that a bit because, like, there was something about, you know, you know, they're they're both they're both ultra cheap, but unlike Under the Knife, uh, this movie, like, it's clear that everybody's having a good time. Yeah, like, everybody involved, like, it just looks like it's not just a labor of love for like one director or whatever. It seems like it's a labor of love for like everybody involved. Now I could be totally getting the wrong impression, but that was, that's the thing about the drag community is that it is like, I, I did a show recently that was on a patio and the show rained out. And when I was still performing in the circus, we would have called the show at like very far earlier in the day. But these people didn't call the show, performed in the rain, in ball gowns and tuxedos. The audience stayed, and the performers were giving 110%. The audience was giving 200% back, Fuck and yeah. we were all performing for our lives. And that's how, dra- that's how drag audiences are, and that's how drag performers are. Okay, now, uh, start off your bit uh, real quick here. Um because I think this would be beneficial for a lot of listeners. Uh, Bobby, how would you describe drag in terms of this drag community of like what you work in and what we see on display in this movie? How would you describe it to somebody that has had no exposure to it? Um, wow, that's a lot to unpack. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, I, I realized as I was asking, like, I might be asking you a gigantic, heavy question here. Yeah. Um, when this film was made, there was a lot less or there was almost no representation for other forms of drag besides drag queens. Um, and they weren't getting any representation really uh, on a grand scale 
uh, more recently until RuPaul's Drag Race. Mm. Yes. So even the fact that this film was made and got out there is insane. Um, now there's a lot there's a lot more known about gender just in the world, uh, and you know there are besides drag queens, you know drag kings have always existed. I'm a drag king, uh, which is a person performing as uh, projecting as male. Uh, that's a drag king. There's drag things, which are uh, a person projecting as maybe no particular gender. They're just doing drag. Um, you know, it, there's uh, queens that are uh, assigned female at birth. That's a thing now. And uh, And there's also some, like, misogyny and transphobia laced in the drag community. Yes. Um, one thing that I remember you telling me, Bobby, in a uh, conversation we had that has this was years, years and years ago. And I thought it was very helpful to my understanding of drag. I remember I had some questions about because I just was not familiar with the with the scene. And you were introducing me to people and going, you know, we went out to events and that. And you described it as um, like. This is me paraphrasing it. This was how my brain recorded it. Was hy- hyper emphasizing aspects of gender. Right. It, would you say that's accurate? Yeah, that's pretty accurate. Um, I think that might have been more of an accurate uh, description, probably when I told you that. Which, in all fairness, this would have been about a decade or more ago. Right. <laughs> because drag has changed in the last couple of years significantly to you know there are uh you know traditionally it's uh men projecting as women uh that's what's more known but right. now there's just so much coming out about this that you you know non-binary people where's the representation for non-binary people doing drag yeah and um now, now, now uh, speaking about this representation i just really quickly looked up because i was curious about uh, drag representation in uh, entertainment media. And I'm looking at the Wikipedia list. And if we cut out, uh, if we cut out drag essentially being cross-dressing for the point of comedy, before this movie, before Vegas in Space, the only real notable examples that at least Wikipedia has noted is... Um, a couple films from uh, John Waters, of course, mm-hmm. love John Waters, yeah. and the Rocky Horror Picture Show, of yeah. course. And I would like to point out that in early 90s, both John Waters and Rocky Horror Picture Show still kind of existed in the realms of like big city independent art house theaters and yes john waters was beginning to go a bit more mainstream but he wasn't going mainstream with pink flamingos and (laughs) and so like what he was what people were seeing with john waters in the 90s was uh not not really the full queer display of john waters and so Vegas in space would have been getting shown on TV around roughly the same time as like 
The Adventures of Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, and to Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything. Yeah. And once again, those are our movies that were didn't have, you know, didn't set the box office on fire. So there's a significant chance that Vegas in Space for a generation was kind of their first introduction to drag because it was shown on basic cable. Um, so, uh, sorry. Oh, that's all right. Uh, you, you cut out for a second. What did you say? Oh, um, I was, uh, pointing out that looking at the release of movies that Vegas in space, it actually does line up time frame wise that, and because it was shown on basic cable, this is probably a lot of people's, especially young people in the nineties, first introduction to drag aesthetics, to drag culture? Um, I mean, maybe on a, a level, if you, like, caught it at the Sundance Film Festival. Oh, no, no, Vegas or, in Space, this was shown on um, yeah, USA on, Network. On, on television, but I don't know. Yeah. I just, I honestly don't know because I wasn't around at the time to know like what time slot it was put in. It would have been played at midnight. To even know like how far of a reach that it had. It, it, USA Up All Night was weirdly defining for a lot of young people in the 90s. It was played at midnight. It was one of those things that the counterculture kids in the 90s watched i myself did not i didn't have okay. usa i lived in the sticks <laughs> i did but i wasn't allowed up that late um, <laughs> um uh, but uh but it was i mean it was from what i understand the show was kind of responsible for um you know uh pro- probably not just this uh but trauma in general um kind of getting in um an audience oh yeah that it might not okay. have initially had thank thank you for clarifying that that that's really interesting yeah isn't it like because i'm looking at the time frame here and there wasn't a lot that a young person would have had easy access to right um sh- um showing drag culture from the perspective of people who are actually involved in it and this totally. is probably one of the first things that a lot of people saw i'm 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 honestly kind of convinced at it looking at the at the uh, t- the timeline right now. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So um. So so what do we want to talk about with this movie? Um, I, well, I have a bunch of I have like a whole list of shit to talk yeah, about. Go for it. Yeah. Let's hear it. Okay, one thing that I thought was really cool with this movie, which was like an what would end up becoming an anti-hipster thing, is how this movie rejects vintage, and it wants <laughs> new things, and I think that's awesome, and that's like one of my personal like philosophies, things that gets me excited, is I always like to say, I don't... I don't care if you've done something perfect if I've seen it a thousand times before. I'd rather see something flawed that I've never seen before. And this movie really embraces that. Yeah. No, definitely. I mean, it's... um, I don't know. Like we were talking about in the Death by Temptation episode where, like, you know, it doesn't 
it doesn't always pay to be first, but like we'll, you know, people like us will always appreciate you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, so though, um, I, I feel like though the perhaps I'm wrong. Uh, correct me, correct me if I'm wrong with this, Bobby. Uh, is that anti-vintage thing still a part of the drag community? I think that that's just a part of uh, poverty. Honestly. Well, what, like, like the vintage aspect? Well, just the fact, like, when you say, like, anti-vintage, it's, if you look at, like, where drag performers come from or generally uh historically who's practiced the art it's a lot of uh trans people sex workers uh gay gay men who lived in like not the nicest areas i don't know if you've seen (laughs) paris is burning um i'm i'm i have not seen it but i'm very familiar with it and the, the ball culture totally so i think that just the fact of presenting like uh, wanting new things is is just a product of not having oh yeah and 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 can you uh for the sake of people listening that don't know can you explain what paris and burning and the ball culture is because i believe it ties very heavily into this movie for sure yeah also i don't know what that is so oh great explain explain for lucas (laughs) Yeah, Paris is Burning is a documentary on the ballroom culture uh, in, I think, the late 80s, early 90s. Mm-hmm. And it, they do a lot of interviews with uh, prominent people in the scene that are that were like dancers. And they have competitions and wear costumes. And even in the movie, they insinuate or maybe even straight out say that some of these drag performers have gone and stolen these outfits yes yes mm. no it, 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 i don't remember if it is directly said but as i do know it is insinuated and yeah. i'd also like to point out that the movie heavily focuses on the african-american and latino yeah. uh drag community and yeah, totally. and that it's it's very heavily marginalized groups and once again i have i actually have not seen the movie but i've actually listened to several podcasts about this movie which is probably like people that listen to this show (laughs) and um from what i understand is that the big thing of showing the movie in the movie was that uh with their with their ball nights that there'd always be a theme but it wasn't always a theme to be the most gaudy that like there's one scene i I believe it's a scene in the movie uh or else i heard somebody that was involved in the scene in an interview talking about that they do like a businessman night and the goal was like who could come and pass as the most convincing like wall street businessman right which which yeah yeah, which different categories that you uh compete in also fun fact paris's burning is the first documented use of yas queen oh wow it's the first documentation of it yes yes there's also some arguments for uh or against paris's burning because they 
the people that they interviewed didn't really get anything out of the process of making this movie. They were oh. kind of just exploited. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and like you said, like ballroom <clears throat> does come from uh, black and Latinx people, community. Uh, and the fact that they just didn't, uh, I don't know, raise up that community and, I don't know, throw them some fucking money or, you know, <laughs> I don't know, help them the fuck out is pretty fucking disrespectful. But also it was that time period where that was just happening right and left. Yeah, and um, our, our show here is focused on exploitation films, and thus far the films that Lucas and I have picked out when it comes to quote-unquote exploitating marginalized people, they've all been made from the perspective of those marginalized people. Though, Lucas, I'm sure we're going to have in our future an exploitation film that is not from that perspective, and that's probably going to be really awkward to talk about. It is, it is, it is, especially if it's, I'm just it's thinking those Mondo- we're both gonna, uh, especially if we're, if, if we get to the awkward position where we're like, we also still kind of, <laughs> uh, yeah, so like, happens. so like Campbell Holocaust. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Specifically what I was thinking of. Okay. Yeah. That's what we're both thinking of. Yeah. So, but, uh, but yeah, Bobby, like, like that is a thing that like in our exploitation, I'm sorry, exploration of these exploitation movies, that that is a interesting thing that we've been looking at is how exploitation by its definition exploits some aspect of the real world of people that live in it and these yeah. films are exploiting it and we can see that that exploitation can can be done for good or bad and i personally yeah. think that vegas in space is for very good because it's made by the people involved yeah. but i think that's interesting you bringing up uh paris is burning and noting that fact about how a lot of those communities that that movie didn't really help them at all yeah mm. well, and, and- I'm starting to realize just being in the drag community in general, uh, the lack of support of straight people in general. Oh, really? Totally. Just uh, when I was in the circus performing primarily to a straight audience, I was making a lot more money. Oh, interesting. Mm. Yeah. Well, what's your, um, what's your take on that? Um, let's see, transphobia, misogyny, homophobia. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, we, we, I, I agree with you, and then we agree with you with all those, those very large societal issues. But like, <sighs> as somebody on stage, like, how do you think that breaks down with, with the person that's maybe going to tip you more at the sideshow versus tip you more at the drag show? What do you think's going on in their head? Well, you know, Sideshow has been around for so long, and it's sort of normalized, but uh, queer people being out and queer still gets a reaction of, is this something I'm supposed to be watching? Maybe this is wrong. Right. Uh, that's that's yeah, interesting. Because, so yeah. No, I get that. I mean, because even like 
I don't know. And I, and I had a feeling we were going to get into this on this episode, but like, even like, you know, supposed allies, like they want, like, I don't know. I'm going to use like the term, like they want the corporate queer, right? Like they want the one that's like, that's exactly like them, you know? And there there can only be one. (laughs) Right. Exactly. And it's like, this movie is not that, at all like this movie at all like this is a queer movie that feels like a fucking queer movie like i mean i don't know and i appreciate it for that one of the articles that i read said that this was a movie made by drag queens for drag queens and and i don't think that's completely accurate but it hit home for me i i just want to point out for perspective Two years after this movie came out, and according to Wikipedia, after this movie, the next notable movie to feature drag characters was Mrs. Doubtfire, which is just a flaming trash fire of a movie. I'm sorry for anyone that likes oh, it. I think I think Mrs. Doubtfire is fucking awful. It's uh, it's pretty far from Robin Williams' best. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> Robin Williams' best movie is Let's Sleepy. I'm sorry, not Let's. Uh, is um is World's Greatest Dad. Everyone, go watch World's Greatest Dad. I'm sorry for traumatizing you, but go watch. It's his best movie. <laughs> Jeff, I have to tell you something. Yes. When I was a kid, I loved Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> it, it, like in retrospect, it's because I was queer. <laughs> <laughs> I. Man, though, I wish, though, you had, like, I don't know, Vegas in space instead uh well, idealize. When you're, when you're a young queer, like, seeing any kind of representation, you know, especially in the time that we grew up, there was more, but it wasn't always positive. But getting to see any kind of representation, you're like, oh, wow, uh, is that me? Is that why I feel this way? Uh, even if it's a fucking fiasco. <laughs> I I mean I'll, I'll be honest here. I just hate Mrs. Doubtfire due to its uh, narrative over a divorced family because I'm from a broken home and the whole dad storyline in Mrs. Doubtfire because like my dad essentially abandoned me and uh, uh, now he's dead and and I'm like the whole divorced dad like struggling but can't actually reach out to anybody. I'm like fuck that bullshit. So his last resort is to pretend to be a woman. Yeah, I know. I like horrible. It's a horrible premise. That's what that's what annoys the fuck out of me. And I don't know, Lucas. What do you think of Mrs. Doubtfire? You know, I I uh, I like kid just because you know it was just uh you know I was a kid and it was Robert. It was the guy from Hook doing fun funny things. Um. And, uh, yeah, no, I mean, it's, uh, I mean, I, I come from a broken home as well. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I don't think, um, I don't think it accurate, you know, I mean, I, I'm not going to complain about its inaccuracy of that kind of, uh, of portraying that because I am frankly, like these are movies, <laughs> they're not real. <laughs> Hi, I'm so going to complain. Doubtfire podcast. <laughs> Uh, all right. Uh, uh, so, so uh, Lucas, what what really stood out to you about Vegas in space? 
so this is gonna out me as a normie, but like I horror picture show almost immediately just because and, and it wasn't necessarily because of, of of the queer angle so much as it was a love letter to schlocky films done through a queer lens um and also like i felt as though like so i watched it by myself like late last night and i liked it but um i think i would have enjoyed the shit out of it if i like saw it with a crowd and oh. I feel like that's the same thing with Rocky Horror Picture Show, I think. Oh, my God. This movie has to be awesome in a packed theater of people. Yeah, I could only imagine. Oh, which we're going to uh, get to at the end of this episode, yeah. that if you're in Portland, Oregon, you're going to have the chance to see this with a crowd of people. So stay tuned to the end to find out how. January 4th. Um, yes! there were some uh <laughs> yeah no that's gonna be great i uh, i wish i was in portland um there were some lines down because i thought they were funny like the this, like uh i don't remember what the what the joke they made was but the the one character was trying to say this is no time for levity but but they said this is no time for levitation and i don't know that made me laugh <laughs> um I don't know. And I like, I like the, the line of, uh, uh, oh, oh, that was just a bad dream sequence. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, that's a great fucking line, which amazingly I've never heard before. That's hilarious. Um, it, uh, I was curious about, and, and maybe it was in, uh, Philip Roth's, uh, blog that he wrote on the making of it. It was, I, I didn't read all of all of it, so I, I maybe didn't get to this part. But um, I was curious about the quality of the film itself because it looks a little older than 1990. Um, but I'm wondering if that was maybe done on purpose. Oh, oh I have this in my notes somewhere. I am. Um, I, I believe I can comment on that, which is just that that's what they had available to themselves. Wow. It yeah. was. Yeah. It, it was just what they had available and it was not done on purpose. Um, it was it, it, like, even though it actually kind of really works out, it works, for especially it. It 30, works for it. 30 years later, it heightens the fact, the fact that it's doing a parody satire of the like 1950s cheesy sci-fi flicks and yeah. their limitations and what they had access to only makes that parody slash satire age better, which is a really awesome happy accident. And that's not done on purpose. It's just literally the equipment they had at their disposal. That's crazy because I I feel like now, like, (laughs) if you wanted to make something on vintage equipment, you would probably end up paying more. I mean, I could be (laughs) wrong. No, I think you're probably correct. And these people did it out of necessity, which yeah. where I'm like, if they can make this movie on just whatever crap they were able to, like, borrow um, grift and steal, uh, like, what's to stop any of us, anyone listening to making, like, a great movie to remember 30 years from now? The only thing stopping you is your creativity, which, oh, totally. which is why I... That that was my like I I've already brought it up but that's my favorite thing about this movie is just the creativity mm-hmm. on display. I heard one thing of um one of the characters I forget which has like this great um uh like 
necklace that has all of these uh, rings on it, and uh, all the uh, all the necklace and the rings are is string with uh, uh, soda uh caps like from from glass bottles that they spray painted and it looks fucking awesome on film and according yeah. to um I'm sorry both of you uh named the person earlier uh Bobby we listened to a podcast that they hosted um uh uh Peaches, Peaches Christ, Christ and Michael Ferrati. Yes. yes, Peaches yes. Christ. Peaches Christ owns the original necklace and they mentioned in the podcast that the actual prop looks like fucking shit, but on <laughs> film it looks amazing. And that how you can tell it's the exact same thing, but in the different context. In one context it looks like shit, in the other context it looks like this weird sci-fi prop. And that is just pure creativity on display that that I love. That I love. So, uh, Bobby, uh, the movie itself. What's your favorite thing about the movie itself? Oh, probably the use of black and white and color. Oh, uh, we haven't I even addressed that yet. That uh, I like gimmicks. Yeah. Uh, and the gimmick of glamour, glamorama. Uh, mm-hmm. Shooting in black and white, and also in color for certain certain things, and turning up the color. Uh, in in Godzilla, yeah. they turn up the color because they're so far out on the planet that uh, yeah. the color doesn't reach that far. Um, yeah, I was gonna say, oh, like, I so love cool. the the stated on screen reason for it was 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 fun, you know. Yeah, and I just enjoy. It just enjoyed the change in format in a film like I do in comic books or books that use like, I don't know, smell-o-vision or yeah, uh, yeah flip-o-rama. Yeah, that, that, that's so cool. And the fact that there was actually, uh, uh, Lucas, you acknowledge that, the fact that there's actually an explanation for it that we don't really see movies, I feel, that often as a whole when they do those artistic exercises actually coming up with in-universe reasons why yeah. that is happening. And uh, the uh, black and white part, I also feel, is very much a tribute to, uh, to old Hollywood. Yeah. Yeah, so, without um, a doubt. Well, I want to point out something that you said, like, we were talking about earlier, the use are wanting to have new things. But I think that just as a drag performer myself, it's giving the illusion of new things when it isn't new things. Uh, And giving throwbacks to old things because they are absolutely wonderful, but also presenting as, like, rich when you're not. Mm. Oh, man, I feel there's, like, a lot we can dig into uh there because that's a really intriguing idea and concept um could you possibly elaborate on that a bit more of what maybe is like the uh motivation Um, for that because to that i guess it's like uh mixing the new with the old uh you know a lot of us will go repurpose 
clothing that we found at the thrift store and make it into something fabulous and glamorous. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I'm still wearing a tuxedo, which is still the appropriate formal attire, but I just had to scrounge for it. Yeah, and and I've seen your tuxedo on stage. It is quite a crazy, ridiculous uh, tuxedo. Yeah, but I and I wonder if like using different formats in the in the film is kind of like maybe that's that's what they were working with, but also mm. just the I I don't know like uh, how do I say this liking of antiques and throwbacks to old rich and glamour yeah i mean it could have started out as like a necessity and then turned into something deliberate right like it's like okay this is what we're working with you know as as creators you know and so we're going to um but we're gonna see how can we actually do this in a way that um serves the story or serves the the art itself Totally. Yeah. And I find that I myself am constantly doing that. Just, you know, you work with what you got. Oh, yeah, I can I, I, I can totally relate to that. Like all of my favorite live performances I've done is when I had zero money and I did prop heavy performances and I yeah. literally did them with uh, trash I dr I dragged out of <laughs> dumpster bins. Uh, Bobby has been present for some of the times that I've done that. <laughs> and I've made props out of trash from dumpsters and they were some of my best performances, some of my most elaborate creative performances that that limitation really just inspires the best creativity, which like, would you believe that this movie was literally filmed in one person's house? No. Like, I, it's like, insane. I knew it was, uh, obviously knew it was cheap, but I, I did not, I would not have been able to tell it was done in one house. Like, that it is It was done that in a one person's yeah. house in San Francisco, which is fucking nuts. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I look at scenes in the movie knowing that and I still can't fully comprehend it. And but they actually did that. Um so uh I I, I, I kind of feel like I've uh <clears throat> dragged on enough that like shall we get into the modern connotations? Cause almost yeah. everything we're yeah. saying, Bobby, keeps Budding up to the thing that I believe both of us find very interesting about how this movie has aged. Yeah. So I'd really like you to uh, introduce that topic. And I know you are like listening to that interview with the director. Hello? Oh, you cut out for a second. Sorry. Oh, um, sorry. Uh, wait, what, where were you going? So um, to talk about this movie in its modern context, I feel like it's time for us to get to that point. Yeah. So I know you, like both of us are really interested in talking about that subject. So would you like to kind of introduce that over like 
your thoughts on how this movie has aged and also how it relates to the drag community in past and to the present time? Yeah. Um, so, this, you know, we've obviously stated that this is a very big part, very big piece of queer cinematic history. Yes, um, yes. And I currently, I just don't think, uh, I guess since times have changed, there is kind of a, you're like, don't see things necessarily from the past because you have so much going on in front of you, like, you know, our phones or RuPaul's Drag Race watching Dragula and congratulations to the new winner but it seems like a lot of our my queer friends just haven't looked back into the past to see that these kind of things exist Mm -hmm. because they weren't around for them um also like there's a great movie out uh we're not allowed to say this word anymore but it's called tranny snatchers and that was a big cinematic piece of portland queer history that people just don't know about because i've heard of this movie what is this movie i I, i've heard of it but i don't know anything more of it other than its title so that movie was made by uh, a group of friends in the queer community and it's about uh this group of trans people that live out in the woods kidnapping a straight woman and holding her hostage. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's coming back. It's, it's coming movie. back to me. <laughs> it's a great movie. Um, it sounds wonderful. And, and I would like to show that film, I think, the next time I do a show, because people need to see that and people need to know that we've done this before. Yeah. We are capable of making a movie, even if it takes eight years to make. We can do that. Jeff, have you spent eight years on any of your books? Shut up. No, I have. I, I'm no. Look, I <laughs> like I have not spent eight years on anything. Oh, oh I thought that was a dig at my uh, one of my work in progress. <laughs> oh, wait, you have actually spent eight years on a book. Never yes. Mind. <laughs> I was, gonna, I was I was going I was tr- trying to go in the direction but of like spending it, eight years like, on the anything. The similarities super between Tranny Snatchers and Vegas in Space is that like they were just made by groups of queer friends that yeah. decided that that's what their passion was. And you know, uh, Vegas in Space was made by Slutza Gogo in San Francisco and Philip R. Ford. <laughs> And uh, uh, let's see, I've got the list here. Doris Fish, Miss X, and Tippy. Uh, and these are like people that nobody would know about unless maybe you're in San Francisco and have done a deep dive or yeah. have heard of Vegas in space. But it's just, I feel like a lot of queer history is lost, or it, it is, because of uh, how. Uh, people feel about gays and LGBT people and trans people. I mean, trans women are still getting murdered. Yeah, and um, um, 
Yeah. And uh, and and then keep keep going uh, uh, keep building off of that. Of um, I listened to uh, uh, a interview with the director Philip Ford of talking about. I, I found very interesting. There was something I could actually very much relate to, and I feel all three of us can relate to it in some fashions because we've now been part of our respective artistic communities for uh, a significant amount of time. And we've now also seen a new generation come up. And I thought it was really interesting that Philip Ford talking about the new generation of drag, um, they express it that it's great, but it's not them and it's not their scene and that they encourage it but it's Mm -hmm. not them and it's not their scene and it's like we made our statement and now we've kind of have moved on in our lives in various ways and as a creative person which all three of us are i found that kind of like really really intriguing and a interesting perspective um like i have mixed feelings when we talk about like the you know the corporate rainbow when it comes Mm -hmm. to representation in media um however i believe we can all agree that it's like a great thing that it's even being done yes that the fact that queer people are being exploited for the purpose of capitalism is a wonderful sign that means they're just like us yes they're just like us (laughs) And and that's Lucas and I talking as two cisgendered white guys of uh, when marginalized groups get like roped into the capitalistic system. Yay, just like us. But right. then it's also so problematic over all that turbulent history that ends up getting ignored when, you know, Skittles and Pepsi and whatever product you want, whatever fucking car commercials now flying a rainbow flag money doesn't and... have time for for your problems jeff what was that <laughs> i said money doesn't have time for your problems <laughs> god damn it <laughs> my problems is what i want to talk to you about money's not real it should all be burned which is also yes. hey i just encouraged another federal crime i'm now on three is that um, a federal crime burning yes money? burning mo- yes destroying currency is a federal crime wow so I've just by the way for every, for for our FBI listeners that was satire <laughs> once again. But now I'm up to three federal crimes I have encouraged on this podcast. Satirically, <laughs> satirically encourage those crimes. Um uh but yeah, like it, it gets really like uh uh frustrating cuz like I come from the underground hardcore punk community and like talking about like, that vintage shit and like oh yeah i really thought the punk community because like it was like take what you can get and turn it into something new totally and then the shit being completely co-opted by mega conglomerates which yeah. this is a choma podcast it would not be an episode if somebody on it did not rant about media mega conglomerates and nope. how they like to t- take all this real shit and sanitize it for the masses. Now, I will say, I have never seen an episode of Drag Race in my life. I'm sorry. 
I just don't like competitive <laughs> TV. Sh- I don't like competitive uh, TV shows. Um, I don't like watching real people compete over anything. It makes me anxious in a bad way. I don't. Mm-hmm. In my entertain for my entertainment, I don't like. I like watching the worst fucking shit in the world when it is all fantasy and fake. But as soon as it goes real, I get squeamish in terms of entertainment. So I've never seen Drag, drag Race. So um, I do know, though, that one of the Drag Race winners of one year actually yeah. hosted a... Um, oh, uh, Bobby, do you know which Drag Race winner it was I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, it was Sasha Velour. Sasha Velour, that's it. Sasha Velour, yes. Hosted a screening of um, uh, of uh, Vegas in space, and do you by any chance have in your notes where that was? It was in New York at the. Um, do you happen to have any notes? Um. It. Oh, jeez, I don't think I have that. Okay, that's fine. But it was at a really reputable art screening of. Right. Uh, 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 of like essentially like art movie theater doing a tribute to um Vegas Vegas in space with Sasha Galore um hosting Valor. it. I'm I'm sorry. What was that again? Valor. Valor. I'm sorry. Sasha Valor. And um and that was once again as we keep seeing on the show. Sometimes it takes decades to get the mainstream to sit up and pay attention and give acknowledgement to what these trailblazers were doing decades ago. Totally. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons why I want to show this film is because it needs to be seen. Oh, yeah. This and is the cool- people that have been showing this film are Peaches Christ and Sasha Velour. And yes. those are really big names in drag. And I just haven't come across uh, anything or anybody else screening this movie outside of those two. And it's so cool that they are uh, that they are doing it. Um, I realize we keep referencing the show, but we haven't fully explained yet. So uh, those two people have been since this movie came out, essentially um, every five years doing some sort of anniversary event slash party slash screening themed around Vegas and space in San Francisco, which is fucking awesome. Like how many movies get that type of dedicated fan base following um, dedication to them? Like it's really not that many. And the yeah, fact that this nice movie is getting it, show, and that's yeah. about it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'll, I'll be honest. I can name actually about a good another dozen well, to twenty movies, but that's a very small number in the entire history of motion picture. Like right. that still means that this is getting spotlighted in a way <laughs> that other films are not, and that's that's beautiful to me. I like. I, I, I kind of I, I love this movie and I'm I'm so thrilled about everything around it and this is all brand new to me for doing this episode and once again I feel like my knowledge and has been enriched over this. I really feel like I would rather watch Vegas in space 
I would rather have Vegas in space than a Rocky Horror Picture Show. Okay, I am with you 100 fucking See, percent. I, I, I am Rocky Horror Picture I'm, Show a lot. Uh, <laughs> Rocky <laughs> Horror is so overrated. I think it, well, look, it's got a really awful trans narrative. That's fair. It ooh, really ooh, fucking can, does. Can you please explain that? I love that because I actually think it's Rocky Horror Picture Show is boring. Horror movie vilifying trans people. Oh, well, it's, uh, it's uh, but not it's, really yeah, but a it's, horror movie though. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was gonna say as ContraPoints pointed out though said, but in a fun way. <laughs> yeah, it, but it, like oh, that's not fun for me anymore. Yeah. Like, it was maybe 10 years ago when I was like, yay, Rocky Horror Picture Show, this is, I love musicals, and I'm kind of theatrical, and also, I'm a fucking weirdo, and queer, and goth, this is for me. But yeah. at this point, like, even Richard O'Brien, who wrote Rocky Horror Picture Show, has said some trans-fucking-phobic shit. And I believe it. I, I mean, I believe it. I don't, I don't oh, know. I haven't, you know. I I, 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 I am not uh, familiar with that. Do you, uh, I, I, I realize I'm putting you on. I can tell you what he said. Oh, please uh, do. Please do. Yeah. He, he identify or they identify as um, half, or 30% female and 70% male. And they also said that they don't believe that trans women, I think, are real women. Or that, that a trans woman could never fully achieve full female status. So, uh, so mm-hmm. kind of like turf people, trans exclusionary, um, yeah. Yeah. um tra- yeah. trans exclusionary representative feminist. Radical, radical, radical. Trans exclusionary. Like yes. RuPaul has said some problematic things as well in the past. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, though, here, here, I'm, I'm going to give this hot take on Rocky Horror Picture Show. My reason for being, being against Rocky Horror Picture Show is once you're 10 minutes into the movie, it becomes fucking boring. All the best things, <laughs> everyone, rem- everything everyone remembers from Rocky Horror Picture Show is in the first 10, what, 15 minutes of the movie. And that movie, that like after Tim Curry gets introduced with admittedly his amazing musical number there's no denying it's a wonderful musical number but after that come on the movie is a fucking drag after that i think it's i I mean i like the songs um you know (laughs) i mean that's i look and i and i i like i've said it to people before like without the songs it's not much and but i mean i i like it more as like a um a uh you know a kind of a examination of like schlocky kind of films um For sure i mean i, I honestly and, love it i love rocky horror picture show but i hate the fucking narrative and that's like, no that's fair it's home for me like i love musicals and i fucking i do still listen to those songs sometimes yeah. um but it's not good not good well it's nostalgic it's, can can you it's, help explain uh uh for someone like me, because I'm truly not really sure, but admittedly, I don't really think very much about it because I'm a privileged uh, uh, straight cis man, so it's not something that's on my mind. What is, like, the problematic qualities of Rocky Horror? 
Um, let's see. That person is a what is the song say? Uh, a transvestite from transsexual Transylvania. Transylvania. And yeah, and also uh, Frankenfurter is they're cannibals, I believe. Yes, they, they uh, are cannibals. Yes. Yeah, I, I think I just feel like, you know, uh, maybe having some positive representations of actual like trans people would be a little bit better than everything that came out up until about recently where trans people were always cast as uh, murderers. Yeah. So, so here's a question I have, like, so if if there was more, you know, um, equal representation, does that render does that render movies like that less problematic? Like, cause now it's like, okay, er, like, it, you know, because like, I, I, I wonder about that. Right. Like it's, yeah. like, it's like, it's like, okay. So there's like, you know, like, I mean, they're, they're playing I the villain in this movie. Does. I mean, yeah. I think we need to watch these movies because it's important to know that this was how history existed but I mean, when you look back at like racist narratives, do you think sure. like, oh well, you know, this is still a great movie, even though they're black people are slaves. I mean, like yeah. what? I mean, people still do make that argument about Gone with the Wind. Admittedly, yeah. I've never yeah. seen Go- I've never seen Fucking Gone with the Wind, yikes. and I have no interest in it. Yikes! Yeah, <laughs> the slavery in the movies. You with somebody that says that Gone of the Wind, Gone with the Wind, is a good movie. Um, most um, likely not, because I think they're fuck, probably really fucking boring. If they're gonna be talking yeah, about Gone with the Wind, really to me, boring. But also, like, fucking yikes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's gonna, yeah. That's good. that's one of those movies that like. I can appreciate, like, in terms of, like, film history, I guess, like, as a as a historian of film. But, yeah, like, I, it wouldn't be something I'd pop in on a Saturday afternoon or anything like that, um, for sure. Because, yeah. <laughs> it's not just the racism in that movie, either, because there's this scene where uh, he, like, where uh, Rhett Butler, like, r- drags scarlett o'hara kicking and screaming up the stairs and then the next morning she's like happy about it i don't know i I, i've never seen the movie but that just sounds like standard female representation in a movie uh you know in the 1920s 30s 40s yeah 50s 60s (laughs) i'm going for quite a long well it's well, it's just, we it's just, you know, I mean, things. maybe, maybe I, I, I'm a little bitter because I'm a horror fan and I had people telling me that like the stuff I like is misogynist and, oh, and, there, yeah. are these, and there, there are people who are like film people and they're like, but Calm with the Wind is so good. And I'm just like, oh yeah. And, and, and we get called misogynist for enjoying, I spit on your grave. Like, yeah. yeah. Wait, so you think we're misogynist because we like something that frames rape negatively? just want to make sure we're clear here (laughs) and then you have the movie with dragging the woman up the stairs yeah but that's fine yeah i do want to state that like hedwig and the angry inch yes fantastic film the great movie fantastic film great movie which is something a perfect segue something i wanted to get into is like other uh uh 
queer weirdo movies that we can recommend. And you said Hedrick and the Angry Inch, which is a phenomenal movie. Oh, yeah. that, that movie's beautiful. It's a beautiful movie. Yes, yes, it is. And yeah, if you like if you like Rocky Horror Picture Show, go check out Hedwig and the Angry Inch. Yeah. And also in in um in reference to uh, Forbidden Space, there's another weirdo cult film that this is remind me of, which um though I thought Vegas in Space was better. I believe it's called uh. Forbidden Zone. I'm just doing mm-hmm. a search for it. Is yeah, that the movie I'm thinking of? I think that's what you're thinking of. Yeah. Yep, it's Forbidden Zone. I used Zone. to get them confused. Forbidden Zone is uh, rather interesting. It, uh, it's essentially um, the Oingo Boingo movie. Whoa. And yeah. Wait, what? Yes. Oh, and cool. I, 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 I it's it just vaguely, and it's such heavy camp level, and though they had like Oingo Boingo budget behind it, so obviously it's a lot higher production value. Um, but uh, I, I I kept thinking Forbidden Zone for some reason while I was watching Vegas in Space. Is that just me? I, yeah, no, I, I used to get them confused. Okay. Yeah. I, I don't know why. I think it's because them around the same time or something like that. Um, uh, Forbidden Zone came out in 1980. Right, uh, but 82, I, I mean, 82. But like, you know, when I heard about, I heard about them around both movies. Yeah, so did, so did I. I. I for some reason grouped them together in uh, my head as well. And um, there is also um, uh. Forbidden Zone. Wait. Oh, that's the alternate. No, no, that's the alternate. (laughs) Wait. I'm sorry. I have for. God damn it! I'm sorry. I have multiple uh, notes pulled up at once, and I confused myself. So yes, I'm talking about Forbidden Zone. Is my other recommendation for a movie similar of this, uh, and I will move on from there. Oh. Oh, no, no, I won't. I will also say Seed of Chucky. I don't care what anyone says. Yeah. I think Seed of Chucky yeah. is a fucking awesome movie. No, that's great. I was actually going to ask, like, um, you know, uh, so, you know, as I as I established earlier in this episode, I am a wrestling fan. Um, and there is there is this, um, you know, term heard it in wrestling i'm i'm sure it exists elsewhere but they would say like who's who's on your mount rushmore you know and they would list the four greatest who they think are the four greatest wrestlers ever so i would i would want to ask you know both of you who is on your mount rushmore of like queer creators and you know don mancini's on mine which is why i uh, which is why i had a segue from that after uh seated chucky so it'd be four, four um I mean, I would say for queer creators, I'd say um, um, John Waters, obviously. Yeah. And I would say um, uh, I'm trying to think of uh, uh, 
queer film creators because or visual media creators because that's mm-hmm. what this is uh focused on <clears throat> oh clive barker of course yeah, clive's on mine as well <laughs> and um hmm. i gotta be honest this is hard for me and not because it's hard to think yeah, of queer creators i like hard. that's not how though also i think about things as i need to remember who is queer and who uh like like who's a queer creator um i mean i guess my all-time favorite writer grant morrison is uh well i wouldn't say that queer may not be appropriate but they are gender Mm non-binary and Mm -hmm. so i guess they would uh fall into it though obviously uh like i'm naming three here and they're all male presenting so obviously there is oh oh and then um um oh fuck i actually don't know if they're queer or not this is kathy koja i don't know so but the cypher is a brilliant novel yes yes that's what i was like yeah so hmm, um i don't know enough about kathy because this is not something i really pay Um, attention to so uh uh bobby do you i guess myself is probably poppy z bright oh yes oh yeah yes yes love poppy z bright and uh oh uh who who now goes by uh uh billy martin who's very open about it so that's not any sort of inappropriate information to give publicly because they're Uh, they're very public under poppy z bright though i believe oh oh, do they yeah they still pin under poppy z bright oh okay yes and they they go by uh billy martin which by (laughs) the way milo yamatopoulos you remember that awful political asshole uh oh, yeah. right guy he um when gamergate was going on uh, milo yamatopoulos tried starting um similar versions of it in every genre of media and they tried starting a horror gate and milo yamatopoulos's two top names to target as the social justice gatekeepers of horror were Poppy Z. Bright and Jeff Burke, myself. Myla Yamatopoulos targeted me by name on Twitter before they got banned from Twitter um, as one of the social justice gatekeepers of horror. How dare you, you bastard. But Milo Yamatopoulos <laughs> said Poppy Z. Bright and myself in the same sentence. And I was like, oh, oh, this is this is ridiculous. Um, I think somebody else that I really look up to is this artist named John Sex, who was around during, or he died, I believe, in the 90s from AIDS. And he was a contemporary of, like, Klaus Nomi's. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, and John Sex had the big, like, a very, very large pompadour. And hmm. looked like a sleazy lounge singer wearing lots. Of I know exactly. Who, he he was on. He was a backup singer on Saturday Night Live for um, Klaus's performance. Oh wow! I I haven't seen that. Oh yes, um, yes. I, yeah, I really like. I mean, some of his stuff is definitely dated, and some of it's problematic. Uh, but 
interesting artist. Nice. Yeah, great name I, too. And that's the unfortunate thing when like you you pop that question on us, Lucas, about like like uh queer Mount Rushmore, and the unfortunate fact is like so many queer creators have either been erased from history or had yeah. to hide their yeah. queerness during their time periods. And yeah. like I'm sure there's a lot of big names I fucking love that I'm just not thinking of. Just and it's because it's because one. Oh yeah, give us another one. Um <laughs> Rob Halford. Yes. Hell yeah. I've seen Judas Priest like three times. It's good good shit. Yeah. And that oh, I'm like who? <laughs> yeah, it is a huge deal, right? Because like metal is this, you know, like so traditionally like Masculine. macho. Yeah. yeah, and and yeah, I don't and know. To, like that could have, if he had come out at the wrong time, that could have tanked his career. Yep. Like we wouldn't even yep. know who Judas Priest was if like, and we, but we definitely wouldn't have had leather. Like no. we do predominantly like in the metal community if it wasn't for gay leather daddies. Yep. <laughs> That's a hundred percent true. And wonderful. <laughs> That's great. Now there is uh one more thing I did have in my notes about this movie uh Vegas in Space that we haven't talked about yet. <laughs> that I want to point out this is the first movie. I have ever seen that says in the credits based on a party. Yeah, it is based on a party. I did. T- I did notice that. That made me. Uh, that yeah, made me giggle. Which I think is so cool. So, uh, the people, the friend group involved in making this movie, um, you know, uh, uh, Philip Ford, Doris Fish, um, uh, uh, like, uh. Lori, Tammy Spence, Tippy, like everybody involved in this, they're part of these um, Miss X. They were part of these big uh, drag queer party communities, and they did a Vegas in space party, which before this movie was to be made, this friend group was talking about making a movie, and their original idea was to do a um, a remake of Valley of the Dolls. And that, when they were talking about making a movie, obviously that never, uh, they never made that, but they were throwing these themed parties in San Francisco, and they did a Vegas and space party, and they said that, like, oh, let's make a movie about this, and they actually (laughs) did it, and... Um, as someone that's thrown lots of gigantic, wild, weird parties, um, Bobby, I know you can relate to this. Oh, yeah. The idea that one of the parties getting made into a movie, I'm like, ah, uh, that sounds amazing. Yeah. Yeah, that's super cool. So, um, does anybody else have anything else for this movie? Any, anything at all? Yeah, I want to bring something up. Oh, please do. Um, yeah. I just the fact that this movie was made uh basically right after the AIDS crisis. Oh, or like throughout yes. the AIDS crisis. And several performers in the movie did die of AIDS. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yes, um, like, uh, I mean, obviously the big yeah. uh, one was Doris Fish. Doris Fish. Which, this movie, I uh, the director, um, Philip Ford, talks about a lot that when they were finally getting distribution for this movie and it was finally getting some sort of audience and getting screenings, it was all right after Doris Fish died. And so this was supposed to be, they were like when they were, the director talks about their regrets just over how life went, nothing that could be prevented, but how life went that when they were doing these screenings, it should have felt like a victory lap that this movie was finally getting audience. It was finally getting viewers. People were finally connecting with it, but then they were touring it and screening it. Um, I believe the first screenings happened six months after Doris fish died. So all the performers had it like fresh in their head, like person who started in this movie person helped make this movie happen is now unfortunately dead and we're doing this in their memory and it's just such a gigantic conflict of emotions which i can't Mm -hmm. imagine what it feels like for the people that worked on it uh do you mind if i read an excerpt oh please do of his uh phillips philip ford's blog um it soon, be cl- it soon became clear after a few years of denial on my part and silence on hers that Doris was suffering from AIDS and that she, would, she was not doing well. As we began to prepare a benefit tribute to her, who does that bitch think she is, <laughs> a sensation of a show which is another chapter altogether, it became for me a race against time to finish the movie. I needed a big time investor and after going down a few dead ends with potential benefactors, finally found one in a comedian and paid, uh, patron of the arts, uh, Lori Milligan. Uh, yeah, it basically just goes on to say that, you know, uh, uh, Doris Fish did indeed die and that Vegas in Space was a victor, uh, a bittersweet victory. Damn. But I, yeah. I don't know. I just think it's important. Like, if I'll, I'll send you the link to. I have a link tree actually made of all the links to Vegas in Space. Cool. Um, if you'd like me to send that to you all and you can post it. You can, uh, and for anyone listening, there's also uh, Vegas in Space one word dot blogspot dot com, which is a making of history blog made by <laughs> Philip Ford. The director of the movie that has all these great behind the scenes photos and behind the scenes stories and all the promo stuff that they did. And like, I'm, I just have a pull up right now. Like the film screened in Japan and they have like images of the Japanese posters, which is fucking cool. Um, uh, still shots of behind the scenes of them building their fucking sets in, like I said, the, the person's home in San Francisco. But, and, and I, I, I do, there there were multiple people on this cast that, uh, died of AIDS. And unfortunately this movie is also a document of people. We, we as a culture lost, uh, from the AIDS epidemic 
that was not taken mm-hmm. seriously by our society, by our government, yep. and was allowed to tear through marginalized communities. Um, yeah. Yeah, uh, uh, yeah, Doris and Tippy weren't there for the preview of, or the debut of this movie. Yes, yeah. Neither one got to see this movie actually come to fruition. Yeah. Which, which is... And yeah, after working eight years on it too, Jesus, yeah, eight fucking eight. years. So yeah, yeah, that's just um, I I've got a personal so, somebody that's very close to me has HIV, um, mm-hmm. and so this is like a very serious subject for me. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of my family members. I'm not gonna mention who, but um. It's still not taken seriously. Uh, Jonathan Van Ness made a documentary during COVID about it, but with COVID, uh, just the uh, information that people are getting about HIV, it's not even as much as it was when AIDS came out because people have forgotten about it. So if you go yeah. and ask like a high school kid on the street, how do you get AIDS? They could tell you. They're probably going to tell you it's from a toilet seat. <laughs> and that's not how you get AIDS. No. There's, there's been a increasing lack of information about AIDS to the youth that, like, that's how this has happened in my family. Because of, I don't know, poverty in the area that they're in. And just uh, lack of information for poor people and lack of awareness in the media. Is this, we're still fighting the AIDS epidemic. Yep. Yeah, unfortunately, we are. And now we have another epidemic, and it doesn't seem like things are getting any better. We're not learning anything at all. No. So there, well, there's we have prep now, and I think there's a couple uh, medications on the market that can help you uh, not get AIDS from having sex, unprotected mm-hmm. sex. Um, and then there's a lot better medication for AIDS out there. Obviously, you can manage it. You can manage HIV now, but it, there's it's not preventing people from getting it i you know i just want to give the information that there is while i have the chance to say it yeah yeah no totally no totally like that's the unfortunate thing that we've been running into a reoccurring aspect on this show with talking about the movies that we do is that these movies are from underclass like, like lower class people they're from marginalized groups of people and we keep finding out of these people dying from uh, d- dying from ailments that could have been avoided in some way if they had better situations yeah. in their life, yeah. or if the powers that be actually took this shit fucking seriously, which they yeah. don't. And who does it hit? It hits the marginalized groups. It hits the lower class lower class groups and it hits uh the creatives and those mm-hmm. are the people that are unfortunately always on the front line for this shit yeah. and and 
yeah, we just keep repeating this. And while these movies still uh, exist, it's a fucking shame some of these people don't. Yeah. Yeah. And I kind of also want to make it very clear that, like, you know, people will say, oh, well, you know, like, women just they didn't get they didn't used to get paid the same amount as men but they they do now or like you know aids we've we got that under control <laughs> i you know uh. i want to say like no queer performers are not getting paid the same amount as straight performers that is a fucking fact anytime you see a drag show if it is not done by somebody on rupaul's drag race it is a labor of love and they're yeah. not making the money back like for their costume AIDS fucking still exists and uh, people are still getting it. And if surprise, it's us, it's the artists. Like it's, mm-hmm. it, it's poverty stricken people in the communities that we're in, you know, obviously in other people are gentrifying those communities. We're getting fucking pushed out. It's, it's a whole fucking thing. But yeah. Yeah, I just want to state like for, for absolute clarity, these things still exist and are happening. So, so on that, for anyone listening, when you're at a drag show, fucking tip your performers. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely tip your performers. Also, maybe go to more drag shows. I'm saying that. Go to your local drag shows. Yeah, go to local drag shows. And and one of the things is also a lot of straight people don't know when local drag shows are happening because the drag community kind of just keeps it amongst themselves, you know, out of protection for the community. Mm. Oh yeah, I I I understand. I understand why. Yeah. Yeah. No, so I I will say this though that there are amazing drag shows going on. Like, if anyone listening to this, if you're being like, oh, there's no drag shows in my area, I actually doubt that okay maybe if you don't like maybe if you're really in bumfuck nowhere because i'm from bumfuck pennsylvania yeah there were no drag shows in my area but if you go like 45 minutes away to your nearest town there's actually probably something fucking cool and hip happening there the best drag show i ever saw actually happened in astoria oregon which is this tiny little coastal town on the ocean in Oregon, and oh, I wish I could remember the performer's name, but unfortunately, I do not. But I saw one of the absolute best live performances of my entire life thus far. Of was this drag performer, and what they did, it transcended drag. It was pure art. It was like breathtaking what they did and it wasn't some flashy um you know you know had special effects and costume changes no no it was just this pure emotional heartfelt performance laying this all-out bear in front of the audience that my god i i there's nothing i I will just rant about it and i will say nothing all I can say is beautiful. And it happened in a small fishing town on the coast of Oregon is where I saw this. Jeff, that's how most drag shows are. Like, it it just is. 
they at like most drag shows that I go to, I could I probably ninety nine percent of them. It is these people putting everything out. Everything's on the fucking line. They put in their last penny into their costume and they are living for what they are doing. And it is pure fucking magic. Cool. That's why I got to, I, I, I got to experience that. And man, that was amazing. Just check out your local. Yeah. Check out local drag shows. Um, yeah. My, my mother went to a drag show her first and uh, she called me on the phone. This was, and this is in New Mexico, in a small, small town in New Mexico. Oh, I want to hear about this. Yes. <laughs> my mom told me, um, "Oh, I went to my first uh, transvestite review." <laughs> <laughs> is that how? Is that how they explained it? Their first transvestite yeah, and, review. And I was like. First of all, mom, we don't say that anymore. But also, <laughs> that's really cute of you. Yeah. She, she's trying, and that's what's important, and that's adorable. Hell yeah. So, um, so, uh, let, let's get to our uh, like. Conc- does it? Is there anything else more we have to bring up? Cause I don't, I don't have anything. I think we hit on all the big points for this movie. Uh, Bobby, did you have anything else? Um, I don't, I don't know. I mean, we could go into like, uh, the whole show girls from Las Vegas from earth, or, you know, we could just go into concepts of the show or maybe they should just go watch it at the star theater in Portland, Oregon on January 4th. And there's going to be a drag show, uh, all-star cast of spooky drag. It's going to be like one of the old-timey spook shows, horror shows uh, from the early 21st century. And there's going to be Vegas in Space starting at 11 p.m. at the Star Theater January 4th. I will be there for this. I wish I could be. I, uh, I'm a little far from Portland, but so, uh, that sounds oh, fantastic. You're um, only, you're only what? 3000 miles away. Something like that. So, um, so we always, uh, conclude every episode. Do we recommend this movie? Bobby, do you recommend this movie? 100,000 million percent. Oh <laughs> yeah. Lucas. What's your feelings? Do you recommend this movie? Yeah, I, I would say for sure. I mean, I you're not gonna see it, and it's and it's very um you can tell everybody's having fun, and uh, I don't know, you might learn something. Yeah, and the thing, up, I I uh I thought this was fucking awesome. I'm really happy I watched it, and I just want to highlight once again. The technical level, which is something I fucking adore, knowing the backstory behind this, they made this all in one person's house. It's fucking insane. It's insane. Yeah, I I 100% endorse this movie. You should totally watch it, and this is something you should watch and be inspired by. Cool. Um, So, all right. So I'm sorry, Bobby, but we finish up every episode with Lucas and I deciding what we're going to watch next. So remember, I'm on vacation next week. 
what were we doing then? Were you going to uh, try to get that uh, that layman episode up? Oh, oh, okay. So yeah, so next week, next week we're gonna have a special episode from the vaults that has never been released before, <laughs> that has nothing to do with this show, but is essentially a precursor for this show. Um, I I was gonna. I had originally an idea of doing a Richard Lehman podcast, which is a very sleazy horror writer, and it didn't really materialize <laughs> because my life went crazy. It was a lot of work, blah, 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 blah. But Lucas and I did record an episode of it and it has not been released to the public until next week. And so that's what will be next week. But do we we do have some viewers following along, so they are going to want to know what the next movie is. I'm sorry, I yeah, said viewers, listeners. There's nobody viewing this. There's people listening to this. I'm getting my senses all confused. It's been yeah. a long day. I had a long day at work. I dealt with I don't know how many fucking cats today. It's been a long day. Um, what movie are you? What movie are you thinking, man? Yeah, I think we should open up the new year with our most requested movie. Oh, you mean the one that's not actually a trauma movie? Yes. All right. What movie is that? Well, everybody on Facebook and Twitter, you asked. We're finally bringing it, even though it, well, it technically doesn't qualify, but we're we're changing things up a little bit. We're going to be talking about Street Trash. Fuck Yeah. We'll do so. Next week is gonna be the Richard Lehman episode. The essentially the dry, essentially would turn into the dry run for this show. Yeah, and, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. And then we'll be back on track after the holidays. After all this shit's been going on, we've had to adjust some episodes due to just life happening. I'm sure everyone listening can relate to it. But we're still giving you co- content. Every single fucking week. We haven't missed a single week. week, Unlike some other podcasts that I could name run by friends of ours. Don't do it, Jeff. We don't have a lot of friends. Okay, I'll stop being being antagonistic to all of our peers. Um, But you're going to get new content next week about Richard Lehman. And then the week after that, we'll be back for Street Trash. So, final fucking segment. What do we have to plug? We only have one thing to plug. Bobby, tell everyone listening <laughs> once again, what's the fucking event happening in Portland with Vegas and space and drag and you and all that awesomeness. So uh, deep in the hearts of Portland, Oregon, lurks a terror that knows no bounds. In the historics, is the historic Star Theater home to a brood of blood-sucking fiends? Is it possible to make contact with loved ones who have gone to the other side? Is the devil gay, and are they walking among us? Can a crew of spacemen become a glamorous troop of showgirls and stop a jewel heist to save a planet? Find out the answers and more at Monstro Menagerie. 7.30 7.30 p.m. January 4th at the Historic Star Theater in Portland, Oregon. It's going to be fucking awesome. I'm going to be there. So. <laughs> Bobby's going to be there. I'm going to be there. 
Yeah, if you're in Portland. Lucas isn't going to be fucking be there. I'm not, um, but we've if. We've got a wheel of misfortune that uh, my manager, Artie Bloodstain, is going to be running. And you get the very chance to win a real dead body. Holy shit. See, this is the type of events I endorse. (laughs) This is why I endorse. All right. Uh, Holy shit. Well, that's a wrap. That's a great spot to end. (laughs) Thank you, everyone. Follow us on the socials and, uh, you know, we might have uh, we might have things on YouTube soon. Yeah, uh, more on that later. Thank you. Happen.